Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vine Life Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. How many out here this morning, how many of you guys would self-identify as a movie buff? All right? Like, you like watching movies. Okay, we got a couple in here. No shame. I know it's church. It's okay. No shame. No shame. And by movie buff, what I mean is, not only do you enjoy watching movies, but you enjoy evaluating them and analyzing them and talking about what's happening in the movie, right? How many of you are annoyed by people like that? (laughs) Exactly. You're like... (laughs) You know what? Just chill out. It's Star Wars. You don't have to analyze every ounce of hidden meaning. It's Star Wars, people, right? But, you know, we do like movies and, and the storytelling, and there's a lot of important parts to, 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 to a film or any story, really. Uh, but the, the ending is a really critical one, right? Um, have you ever seen a movie that was great until the very end, and it didn't end like you wanted it to? And you watch it, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was perfect until the end, and it ruined everything for me, right? Or, uh, or maybe, maybe it was just great. Maybe the, the ending was what made it, like, like, did you see the way she handed him the lightsaber right at the end? You know, Luke Skywalker, that whole thing. It's like, that was perfect. And then there's sometimes the endings that you didn't see it coming. It was unpredictable. But it forced you to think, like, wow, I, I didn't think that they would end like that, but there's something about the... the uh, the nuances of what the director was doing, what the writers were doing to just pull it all in in this one last scene at the end. And, and uh, it's, it's really interesting because when we look at the, the Gospels in the Bible, one of the things that, you know, when we look at the life of Jesus, it was so cataclysmic, so significant, it wasn't enough to record it just once. We had to get it four different times in the Bible. The four different gospel accounts, four different eyewitness accounts from these guys, and they all have their own nuances and flavors to the story, just like a filmmaker, a director, a writer would want to do it their way. You start to see nuances in some of the stories, and their endings are all slightly different, okay? And it's really interesting, because if you're a gospel writer, if you, if you get one shot to nail the life of Jesus, and you're, you know, you're, 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 you're trying to get the main points, you're trying to get the gist of it. Uh, all the way to the end, how do I want to leave this? How do we want to end it? What's the main point? What's the, what's the juice at the end of this thing that's going to propel the rest of the thing? How do I want to end it? It's, it's really interesting because we see that they all kind of have slightly different takes. You see, the Gospel of Matthew, if you're familiar with the Gospel of Matthew, it's got all the big moments, and then it ends perfectly, right? The Great Commission. You guys read this? The Great Commission, right at the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18, and he's with his disciples, and it's like the last thing he does, he gathers them around, he says, go therefore into all the world, right? Making disciples of all nations, perfect. It's like that's a credit start rolling, and you're like, nailed it, Matthew, nailed it, right? He got it. I mean, that's pretty, you just left with this energy. Mark is a little bit different. Mark, he's got the great commission in there, but then he, he, he takes it one step further, and he ends this, this thing called the ascension, which we know is when Jesus actually rises into the sky. And you can imagine this. What a perfect way to end your story. Jesus commissioning all of his, the, the, his disciples, the ones that he's been pouring his life into. And then the final scene, though, is Jesus just kind of rising. Hey, bye, everybody. You know, and he's going to the sky, and it's like, oh, my gosh. This is amazing. Jesus floats off into the sky. It's like, what an amazing ending, right? Luke is a little bit the same. He's got the ascension in there right towards the end, and it, it's, it's really beautiful how Luke does that. But then we get to John. 
you guys like the Gospel of John? I love the Gospel of John. But I love that John, he just says, you know what? We're going to do something totally different here, right? We're going to do the unpredictable ending that nobody thought. And it's really interesting when you read the Gospel of John, because you start to wonder, what was he trying to capture here? Because you got all the, the major brush strokes, you know? You got the life of Jesus, you got the death, the burial, the resurrection. And then, and then you get Jesus, he's with his disciples, and it, he, he, he breathes on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit so they can be empowered to bring the Spirit of God into all the world. Just beautiful. And, and it's almost as if it's, it's, it's right about to end, at the end of chapter 20. If you read this, you go home and read it later. It's almost like, you know, he's buttoned the thing up. He's got the ending he wants. But then you get to chapter 21, which is really interesting. It's an interesting chapter. It's very unpredictable because you get to almost the perfect ending, and then he starts up the whole thing again with like a fine, it's like a deleted scene. I, I kid you not. I mean, this happens in sequence, but that's the feel you get because everything happens. He breathes on the Holy Spirit, and then chapter 21, it's the disciples fishing again. Jesus cooking them breakfast, and then a really awkward conversation between Jesus and Peter, okay? And why do I bring that up? Because I, I have to imagine that of all the Gospels, John is like, he's like the indie filmmaker of all the Gospels, all right? He's the one that says, okay, we could end like this, but I think there's something, there's something about the resurrected Christ that he wanted to leave his readers with. There's, something, there's, there's a nuance in there. There's something about the way that Jesus works and what he's doing in the world that he would capture these last, this last conversation with Peter and that Jesus would want to deposit just one, one last um, encouragement, one last invitation. And it, it sh- I believe it shows us something about what Jesus was doing and what he's still doing on earth today. Can we read chapter 21 together? Is that all right with you guys? If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. John chapter 21, brilliant chapter. Jesus knows our hearts. And, and I believe that this, this, this chapter was put in, in there as a gift to us today, okay? I'm going to walk you through it. It's all leading up to this strange conversation. Everything is leading up to this moment. So we start at the beginning of chapter 1. He picks back up from, from chapter twenty. And it says this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus. I'd prefer to go with Thomas myself. (laughs) Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we will go with you. So they went out, got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing, okay? Now, a good question to ask is, why are the disciples fishing right now? And who's to say, right? Even the scholars don't quite know. But as you can imagine, after the turn of events they just walked through in previous days, um, there comes a certain point of time, and maybe uh, you felt like this before after a significant time uh, uh, in your life where you just think, okay, I'm not sure what to do, so I'm just going to go back to what I know, And this is a world they know. Fishing is a world they know very well, right? And it wouldn't be a lot different for some of us. Like, all right, I guess I'll go back to the office. I guess I'll go back to this. When you don't, when something significant happens, something significant turns, it's easy just to kind of go back into what you know. And so here they are in a fishing boat. They're fishing all night. They catch nothing. And we continue in verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore 
But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, okay? So the disciple whom Jesus loved, we know, is John, okay? Because that's one of the perks of writing the Bible, is you get to refer to yourself as the most loved one out of all of them. I think. That's what I would do. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. Now, I didn't know this. Other translations say um, he, he put on his cloak because he was stripped for work. Other translations say he was naked which I never realized until reading this chapter that was a thing, fishing naked, okay? <laughs> that apparently you didn't want to get your, your clothes wet, and so you, however that works, you're fishing naked. <laughs> and can you imagine the awkward moment <laughs> where you're fishing naked, and then you notice Jesus waving at you from the shore? <laughs> hey, guys, what you doing? Ah, nothing, Jesus. Um, So he does the most sensible thing. I guess I'll put some clothes on. He sees it's Jesus. He jumps into the water, and we're assuming that he swims to shore. Verse 8, The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a uh, a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So a couple of things to point out here. Uh, first of all, something interesting. You know, Jesus in the scripture says that he walked the earth for about another 40 days after he resurrected from the dead before he would ascend into heaven. And you think about what he's doing in his spare time, right? We know that he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and he's appearing to his disciples, but apparently he also likes beach time and cooking breakfast for his friends. I just thought that was interesting. I would love for Jesus to cook me breakfast some morning, except the fish part. That kind of freaks me out a little bit. But the other part that we see here is that this is the third time that Jesus had appeared to his disciples. Now, that might seem um, a little arbitrary, but uh, John, as he's writing his gospel, as well as the other authors of the New Testament, when they use numbers like that, it's, 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 it's usually um, a pattern. It's usually symbolic of something else going on. And we know that number three is, is a significant number. Jesus was in the grave for three days and rose to the dead. from the dead. The three is a number of completion. It's a number of perfection. And even in saying this and mentioning, this is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples. He wasn't just saying that that was a happenstance. He was saying that there's something significant even about what's happening here and now in this particular passage, that it's bringing something into, into full motion. And so then we get to the passage of Scripture that... Um, that this whole chapter is kind of revolving around. They finish up breakfast. 
then, then Jesus intentionally engages Peter in conversation. Verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So what is going on in this particular conversation, and why, why is this important on Easter Sunday? See, I, I really do believe that this, this whole chapter um, is leading up to this, this conversation, and that John is intentionally wanting to reveal something about the heart of Jesus that we so easily forget, and he's wanting to show us something about the resurrection, the resurrected Christ, and, and what he's doing for Peter and ultimately what he's doing for us. You see, after they eat breakfast, most likely John and Peter were walking down the shore and John is eavesdropping. We, we read a little bit later. He's, he's, he's following behind and listening to this conversation. And, and Jesus engages Peter with a very simple question. Do you love me? Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's very simple, but as you can imagine, it's very complicated, especially for those of, those of us who are familiar with Peter's life and his story, Right? And he asked that question, do you love me? And for someone like Peter, Peter is very well aware at this point in time, not only just what just happened with Jesus, but what had happened with himself. And it was only a few chapters earlier, uh, chapter 13 specifically, where Jesus and Peter were in a, in a different conversation. And Peter declares he, his commitment to Jesus, right? He says, Jesus, I will go anywhere for you. I will do anything for you. I will even lay down my life for you. And to his horror, Jesus responds to him, yeah, Peter, but also, you're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows. And you've got to imagine what that must have felt like for Peter after the announcement of what, I'm going to give my life to, I'm going to commit, here I am, I'm saying yes, this is my big yes to you, I'm following you. And Jesus says, yeah, but you're going to disown me as well. And, and despite that caution and warning from Jesus, that indeed happened, right? See, there's that word indeed. See, see how I worked that in there? <laughs> it happened. Peter, Peter would three different times distance himself with Jesus. He separated himself because he didn't know what to do. He was scared, right? And, and so as you can imagine, in one of the few instances where he's interacting with the resurrected Christ post-resurrection, and Jesus comes up to Peter and says, Peter do you love me, right? You can imagine how that was interpreted, interpreted in Peter's mind, right? Because there's a few ways to hear that. He, he, heard it, he heard it as if Jesus was doubting him, yeah? Simon, Simon, son of John, Peter, listen, I just got to ask, 
what you did back there was a little shady. Do you love me? I mean, I just need to know. Just, I, it doesn't have to be just one word. That's fine. I just need to know if you love me because that was scale of one to ten. Just point it out. One being not very much, ten being a lot, you know. I just need to know, do you love me? Because I need to feel good about myself, right? That's not what Jesus is doing. He asked the question, do you love me? Not because he was doubting Peter's love. I don't believe. But what he was trying to emphasize with Peter is, Peter, listen, I know what you did. I know, I know your blunders and your mistakes, but listen, if you still have love in your heart for me, there is still room for you to get back to work. And, and we see here that, that even Jesus, upon asking these three questions, and, and you've heard this before probably, but asking three times, it, it corresponds directly to the three times that Peter disowned Jesus. So for every time Peter biffed it, Jesus said, but Peter, do you still love me? Yeah, I think I do. Great. Feed my lambs, right? So for every time he made a mistake, Jesus was there to invite him back into kingdom fruitfulness because this is what resurrection does. This is what he's been doing and this is what he's continuing to do. Because, you know, Peter, along with the other disciples, you've got to imagine at this point, they've started piecing things together. They, they're starting to understand at this point in time all of the prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus, right? And all these conversations are starting to take shape. You know, yeah, their minds are still swirling. Like, what, did all, what, did, what just happened? This death and the resurrection, this whole thing. What was going on here? What is the significance? And you've got to imagine they're piecing that together. Maybe even theologically, they're starting to draw similar conclusions that we've drawn about what happened with forgiveness and what happened with resurrection and what's available, what they had access to, right? But, but Jesus knew something about Peter that's really special here. See, it wasn't enough, in, in this particular telling of the story, it wasn't enough for, G, for Peter to know that he was forgiven or know that he's loved because he still had the awareness lodged in his memory and his heart that he had full capacity to screw these things, this whole thing up, right? Have you ever felt that way before? You, knew that, you know that God loves you. These people have told you that before. I mean, you tell, you tell yourself that. Maybe you tell yourself you're forgiven, but there's still this place where you're not letting yourself off the hook because something happened. You declared something. You, you committed to, to something. You said yes to something earlier in life or at a certain point in time, and then for whatever reason, you, you couldn't deliver. And so we know these things about ourselves sometimes. And, and yeah, we know the truth of what we read here. But here's the awesome thing about Jesus. Jesus knows how to push back, push past just getting us to think about these things. He loves, he's able to draw close enough to speak directly to our heart. To say, listen, I know exactly where you've got it wrong. And, and, and maybe for some of you today, you're here today and it's the first time you've been around in a long time. And you're like, I guess Easter's a good day to go to church, right? And, and, and maybe you felt that way before. Maybe you felt in some ways disqualified because maybe earlier in life you had a picture of God or you committed yourself to God or you said yes in this way and, and that just hasn't panned out in the way your life has unfolded. And you're wondering where things are at. Where are we at? And even when you hear a question like that, do you love me? You, maybe you're listening to that through the lens of, man, I don't, I, I don't, know. <clears throat> I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can follow through in this. 
I don't know. I, I, I wasn't able to do it before. I don't know if I can do it now. But Jesus is asking that question, do you love me? Because he's still got room for you at the table. Some of you, some of you here today, maybe you look at your life calling and just how things have, you know, it, earlier in life, you're like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to serve the poor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, do whatever. You had this grand scheme of how things were going to look, Right? And probably very few of us, life ended up actually looking like that. But somehow along the way, even with those commitments and those declarations, and then, and then, and then life kind of took a turn or just went down some different roads, and it doesn't look like you thought it was going to look like, and you feel like part of that's your fault. And maybe, it, I don't know, maybe it is a result of some mistakes from the past. Again, the resurrected Christ today is still asking the same question. Yes, 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 but do you love me? awesome. Feed my sheep. And then maybe specifically in your relationships. We've been talking about relationships the last several weeks around here. But one of the biggest commitments we ever make is when it comes to, you know, marriage. And I think all of us know what it feels like to make a commitment to somebody and not feeling like you're living up to it. And, 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 and you've been beating yourself up for that. There's the heart and the spirit of God, I believe, once again, no matter where you find yourself, the blunders, the mistakes, if you're here and you consider yourself a screw-up or a misfit, listen, you are at home. Because Jesus is the God of second chances, always. And what I love about this interaction with Peter is that he didn't just... Once Peter answered yes to do you love me, Jesus didn't say, great, you know, and just walk away. There was an invitation. Feed my lambs. What does that mean? Feed my sheep. What does that mean? We know that Jesus, he was the great shepherd. He was the good shepherd. And what he was here to do, first and foremost, was to shepherd the flock of Israel and to, to lead the sheep and to, 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 to feed them, to nourish them. And then ultimately, for the whole world. But as he was talking to Peter, he didn't just say, Peter, do you love me? Okay, that's good. You're, you're fine. And a little pat on the back. He said, feed my sheep. What was he saying? He said, come join me in the work that I'm continuing to do. You see, sometimes Jesus wants us to know that he trusts us more than we think. Despite our failures and despite our reputation, despite the things that we've messed up in the past. And I know that for some of us here today, that message means something because you've disqualified yourself from actually being able to be fruitful with Jesus. And Jesus all around is, 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 is announcing, he's been announcing this ever since that day he came out of the grave. He said, listen, this is what I'm up to and I want you to join me in the work. There are broken hearts that need bounded up. The poor need to be announced to them that they are rich. Uh, there are those who are grieving that need to be comforted. There are those who are, bro- who, who, are, who are devastated and broken that need healing. And listen, if the answer to that question, do you love me, is a yes, even a faint yes, even a, I'm not entirely sure, but I think so, Jesus says, great, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And that is the work that we get to do because that's what Jesus is up to. Don't you love, don't you love the gift that is revealed to us even in this, this last conversation with Jesus and his, one of his closest friends, his closest disciples. He didn't just leave saying, listen, you got all the right theology. I'm just going to hand this off to you. But he drew new to, drew new to Peter because he knew his heart. 
And he said, listen, you need a touch, you need healing, and you need wholeness. I'm here to deliver that to you, Peter. I know you love me. Get back in the game. Get back in the game. And I know for some of you that, that it's a simple word, but you need to hear that today, the voice of the resurrected Christ looking deep into your heart, into your experience, and saying, listen, there is a lot to be done. There is a lot to be done. There are sheep that need tended to. Get back in the game. There's room at the table. And, and, and this morning, we celebrate the mercy of God. We celebrate the fact that, our, that the Son of Glory, the beautiful Son of Glory, went to the cross and he took upon himself everything that was a result of, of, of the fall of the, in, in the human condition. He took upon himself the worst of all hate and injustice so that we didn't have to experience that ourselves. He exhorted into himself, and in doing so, he still forgave. He still forgave. He still said, I choose to love you. I choose to forgive you in the, in the worst. While you're still sinners, while you're at your worst, your ugliest, I'm going to forgive you because you're worth that much to me. And I think this morning, can we just remember the mercy of God, that mercy triumphs over judgment. The mercy of God triumphs over judgment. And this morning, on Easter Sunday, some of us may need to respond in different ways, but I think as a, as a body, as a people, can we respond by receiving the elements, remembering the body and the blood of Jesus broken and poured out for us, the mercy of God unleashed on a new level in a way that nobody ever thought. So this morning, in all four corners of the room, we have grape juice and we have bread. And I want to invite you now to go to a corner. I believe we have gluten-free back in this corner over here. Please go to a corner, pick up the elements, and then return to your seat, and we're going to receive communion together to thank Jesus. here and you want to respond to the we thank you Jesus that today we celebrate your triumph over, over death your body and your blood 
given for us. And as we receive the elements today, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you come closer than we ever thought you would. And even as we ingest this supper, we thank you, Father, that your life has come inside the Spirit of Christ, raised Christ from the dead, is now living in us. I want to lead you in a, in a reading. And after I say the phrase, Christ the Lord is risen today, all of us can respond together, Alleluia. Christ the Lord has risen today. Alleluia. Your blood poured out, your body was bruised. Yet from the darkness of the graves you arose. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. From the triumph that has won over the power and fear of death. All curses are broken. All judgment removed. Christ the Lord has risen today. Walking from the empty tomb, opening wide the gates of life. Christ the Lord has risen today. Lord of life, you defeated death to show that we can rise from all that binds us to the world. Fear and failure, shame and sorrow, we are slaves no longer. Christ the Lord has risen today. Lord of life, you defeated death to demonstrate a depth of love that is beyond our understanding. You chase us down to heal our hearts. You come ever closer with words of life. Christ the Lord is risen today. Lord of life, we receive your love. Let us walk. As a light to those in darkness, let us bring your peace to those enslaved by fear. Let us offer healing to those who are broken. Lord of resurrection life, let your kingdom be known through our lives and through your power. Christ the Lord has risen today. Hallelujah. Let's receive the elements together. My history re 